Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome uh, this uh, July 4th weekend. Reminds me of home uh, back in uh, Alabama. 90 degrees, nice humidity. You can feel the air. This is uh, my version of heaven. Uh, right, right here. Now you, you may have your own version, but this, this is mine. Um, now, uh, today we start a new series, uh, where we're uh, looking at what is essential from the mouth of Jesus. You know, COVID, COVID-19 has given us a lot of practice in redefining what is essential. You know, we never thought of, as we've said before, like grocery store clerks or hand sanitizer or um, uh, disinfecting wipes or face coverings, mask, N95 mask. Never, never thought of all of those things being essential. Uh, but uh, this season has redefined what is essential. And I, I think that's a great metaphor for what God is always doing in us. Jesus is always redefining for us, reminding us what is essential in the kingdom of God, uh, what is essential in the, the ways of God, and what is essential for us as God's people. And what we'll be looking at throughout the rest of the summer is the, the last week of Jesus' life from just after Palm Sunday when he, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and then, uh, until, uh, Good Friday when he's executed on the cross. Those, those, uh, three or four days there, um, uh, capture from Matthew 21 through 25. Jesus gives his um, teaching there that I think he's preparing the church, you know, for his departure, for his crucifixion and resurrection. And he's giving us the essential core elements of what it means to be God's people, what it means to live as God's people um, together. Um, and today, uh, in uh, the right after Palm Sunday, starting in ver- chapter 21, verse 12, which is on your handout, you should should have it of the Gospel of Matthew. It's actually a very disturbing passage. It's it's troubling um, what Jesus does here. It that leads. It, well, it's an act of judgment on God's people in that day and a word of, of warning, a word of challenging, of disrupting, disturbing the peace in order to, to reorder priorities of God's people. So he, he disrupts, Jesus does, in order to awaken God's people to what is essential. And that's what we'll, we'll see in our passage um, today and throughout uh, these um, passages in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, so Matthew 21, starting with verse 12, let's, uh, let's pray together. Almighty God, we do thank you again for your written word as it speaks to us of your truth. And what is essential, may your spirit be at work in us to, to reorder our priorities, to, to hear from you, to reorder our lives, to continue be transforming us uh, to live according to what is essential. Uh, what is fruitful um, in your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, Matthew 21, verse 12 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. 
but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Now, the troubling, disturbing element of this passage, maybe you see it and recognize it. I never have until really studying it and reading it this time. But Jesus engages in a violent, property-damaging protest to wake up his people, to disrupt the lives of the congregation, to shake up the religious leaders of the day. Now, I have to admit, some of you may be alarmed by me even saying all of that together. Because I was. I had never thought about this, that Jesus here is engaging in a protest to wake up his, his followers. I tried to figure out a way around it, but the text is the text. The story is the story. Jesus showed up at the temple. He grabbed some of the tables. Other passages say he also had a whip. And he flipped the tables. He ran folks out. Things must have been pretty bad for God in the flesh to have come in with such an action. Certainly no slight provocation. And yet we know that Jesus is one who does not sin. I mean, just this very act corrects me. I mean, I'm a rule-following kind of guy. I imagine a number of you have, have this same wonder as you look at this text. I, I, I think keeping our anger in check, I'm that, that kind of guy. I mean, aren't some of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit self-control and, and patience? Yes, but what is this then? What is Jesus doing here? It shows me that God speaks in unusual ways. And that the Son of God may even engage in a property-damaging protest to wake me up, to wake God's people up to what is essential. I mean, I've probably prepared for this sermon more than any other in a long time, trying to engage around this. And uh, I read one commentary as well where one of the writers was saying, you know, uh, this was probably not property-damaging. And I'm like, really? I mean... Do you think that Jesus came in and said, excuse me, sir, excuse me, ma'am, but uh, um, can you move your coins off the table and, and remove your doves and other animals? And can y'all? And then he takes the table and he, and he just sort of gently tips it on its side. I don't think that's what he did. I think he came in and flipped the table. And, and if... If, if we think that in th this is not a property-damaging, violent kind of reaction, then just go home and flip your own tables. Is that okay? No. If, if my kids come in my house and start flipping my table, I'm flipping them out until they come back with a new table. So that's what is Jesus is engaging here. He's flipping the tables. 
to wake up His people to bring judgment and correction. Now, be sure to hear what I'm... uh, Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm certainly not encouraging property-damaging protests. Certainly not encouraging that in any way or, or saying that God would call us to do that. But what I am saying is that's what Jesus did. Jesus doesn't sin. And so somehow God uses this to teach us. Again, not all protests are good. Not all protests are, uh, not all protesters are doing what is good. But there are times in this complex, broken world when one of the results of a property-damaging protest will be to wake up people of God to the evil in our world, in our own lives. And what we learn from this passage, then the response of God's people is to ask, why? Why is this happening? I have to admit, my fear is that if I'd been around in Jesus' day, and I'd been one of the religious leaders of the day, I fear I would have been like those religious leaders, focused on the protest and the property damage instead of the causative issue. I mean, I, I can hear them, the, 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 protest, the, the religious leaders there, saying, hey, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, uh, Jesus. The, you know, there are other ways to go about that. There are other manners to make those grievances known. And what we do find out later on in the passage is that not only do they respond that way, but they are even angry at what Jesus has done and what he has let loose among the people. Now, the beauty of our day on this freedom weekend of July 4th celebrations is that we have the freedom to speak out, to, to, to protest the things that are going on in our world. And we are thankful for a form of government that does not, in totalitarian regime, just shut down any opposing voice. We are thankful for those who have given their lives to a nation that is continuing to grow and mature in the ways of true freedom for all. And even on this day, we look back. We look back on other property-damaging protests that we look back on and say, those were good. Events like the Boston Tea Party. That we look back and say, that's one of the things that helped to lead to the freedom that we enjoy today. And the same we say about the protest of 2020. To bring many of us, more of us, and to recognize the reality of racial injustice in all kinds of systems in our city, in our community, in our nation. So why then? Why did Jesus, in such a significant, disturbing, troubling way, respond like this? Why did he act in this way? The essential truth that he wants to communicate is that one of the primary acts of the church is to give all kinds of people, every kind of people, access to God. 
to engage with God, to grow into the saving love of God, to grow into the flourishing life that God has created each of us for, for all kinds of people. Jesus comes in judgment to the temple of that day and warning for all that follow after to read this text. And he comes in flipping the tables because he's calling for wholesale change, not just tinkering here or there. Notice all that he affected. He, he said the buyers and the sellers and even the money changers. Throw them all out. The whole system needs to be changed. Can't just tinker with it. It's not just a few bad apples. The whole program requires change. And again, the protests of our day have demonstrated that to us of, of the need for the, the whole judicial system. Revealing ways that laws are applied unequally, policing inequitably, judges and courts and prisons and jails. Demonstrated in one of the things that I've read over the last couple of weeks is how the, the, the war on drugs, the laws focused on drugs in more uh, in, in black neighborhoods, the way it was policed focused there. And then the whole system provided a situation to where today, if you look at the, those who have been imprisoned for drug-related crime, African Americans are imprisoned more, six times more, than others for drug-related crimes. Now, what we know is that drug use is equal across ethnic groups, across racial groups, but the imprisonment is six times greater. That's the real illustration, not just of a few things that need to be tinkered, but a whole system that is out of whack with what is just and equitable and needs to be addressed. And that's what Jesus is saying to his followers in that day. This whole system needs to be redone. And of course, that's what Jesus does. He goes in then quoting a number of prophets. I mean, this is Jesus as a prophet. He's coming out. This is what the Lord has said. And and first, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 56, starting with verse 7. You can jot that down or look at it now if you'd like. But I want to read just a a little bit of that to you to, to show you when he says this to be a house of prayer. It's to be a place where anyone and everyone can come and grow in the love of God and engage and live a life of flourishing with God. Isaiah 56, uh, starting with verse 6. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Here's where he quotes. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Did you you hear the subject of the Lord? His attention was on gathering together whom? The foreigners, the outcasts, the others. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 56, and the people that heard it would have known. That's what he's saying. This to be a house of prayer for all peoples. It are essential to be a place where anyone and everyone of all kind can engage with the love of God. 
And what was happening in Jesus' day was thwarting that very purpose, was putting other things more important than the essential purpose of the temple. And because what had happened, even, even if we look at this system that's in place of buyers, sellers, and money changers, put there largely for the commerce, convenience, and comfort of the people who are part of the temple, even if that wasn't done in a way that was price gouging or taking advantage of those that were there, even if it was done in a very equitable way, it was located in the very place that was the court of Gentiles in the temple. It was the very place that was set apart for the very people Isaiah was talking about to come and worship God. It was set apart for the foreigners, for the outcast, for the others. And now it was taken over by the people of the temple for their convenience and for their comfort. He goes on then to, to quote from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 7, 9 through 11. You've made it a, instead of it being a house of prayer for all peoples, which is what Isaiah says, you've made it a den of robbers. It's become a place where the disobedient can hang out for protection. It's like a criminal hangout. Uh, they, they come in what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Not applying the love of God in their lives, but just applying it when they come in to protect themselves in their own disobedience. Hear the words of Jeremiah chapter 7, starting with verse 9. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you've not known and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. This is a, a common theme throughout Jesus' last week, uh, that, that loving God is to be a lifestyle, not just a Sunday celebration. Loving God is to be a lifestyle, not just a Sunday celebration. Being God's people engages our body and our mind, not just our mouth. We're, we're not to be a community that is a sanctuary for the saved in a scary world. Instead, we're to be a place of preparation for a mission of God to love the world. Jesus wants all kinds of people. And in this passage, we see especially the, 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 the folks that, that the world deems as less than, that, that the world sort of holds at arm's length. For, for Jesus here, he'll, he heals the blind and the lame. And, and, and the blind and lame weren't even allowed into the temple. And Jesus hears the children singing. And the children, well, you know, they're supposed to be seen and not heard. And then the religious people, God's people, get angry at what God the Son is doing. Well, one of... Uh, the commentaries that I did read, he's a Presbyterian. So every time it says uh, chief priests or religious leaders, he would put in senior pastors and elders. And so he said the senior pastors and the elders were living in comfort and convenience rather than the sacrificial love, the complex justice, and the messy evangelism of the kingdom of God. 
I mean, imagine with me this picture. Imagine this picture of the temple. Imagine this picture of the church. I mean, Jesus has come in. So the, the tables are flipped over. Doves are flying, fluttering all over the place. Coins are rolling all over the parking lot. And he's in the middle pronouncing a prophetic word to his people while the lame are rejoicing, while the, the, the blind are dancing, and the children are singing. What a chaotic picture of the very kingdom of God in the midst of God's people. The disruption that God brings brings judgment, but also correction. Brings correction to God's people, a reminder of what is essential. It may be chaotic. It may be really uncomfortable. It may be really inconvenient. It may be really troubling and hard to understand like God the Son protesting by flipping tables may not fit into my nice ideas and settled theology nor yours but this is the word of God so it challenges us to continually ask the question how do we make use of the disruption in our lives right now What do we need to do to continue to make this a growing community of Jesus followers? I mean, this, this passage here is one of the core passages for our vision of being a growing, welcoming the outsider, diverse, all kinds of people of all nations, being a community of Jesus followers. So how do we hear God in the midst of this and respond to the disruption of COVID-19 and the ensuing protests of racial inequality and lead us through the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to change, to continue to pursue this essential purpose of the church? That's why we continue to do listening to one another about race. You'll see information about that in in the hot off the press if you got one. As we partner with the ministerium, other churches in the neighborhood, and with CHIRC, Urban Redevelopment Corporation, as they're showing different movies that address these issues of race, we come alongside and say, we want to have a discussion group that people can participate in in order to pursue justice together. That's why we continue to pursue education with Pleasant Hill School and, and focus on homelessness with Interfaith Hospitality Network. It's, it's why we're, we are set and ready and going to pour our focus into Alpha in every way possible to engage people outside of the church with the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. It's why we spend tens of thousands of dollars in, in, in mission around the world, translating the, the, the scriptures into languages that don't have the, the copy of God's word in their mother tongue. Pouring into folks that are trying to develop and plant churches among people groups that do not have an existing message, uh, uh, existing church in their midst. That's why um, I asked uh, Samuel Mock, our director of uh, youth and young adults, that I, you know, we do not do a good job of engaging with uh, folks in the church 35 and under. It's it's been, you know, for the last 25 years we haven't. So we need to change. This is a, a this is the time to make those changes. What do we need to do? 
Engage with folks in that age group. Find out where are we missing the boat? How are we not fulfilling the generational diversity of the kingdom of God in our midst? It may be a change that's disturbing. It may be a change that's really inconvenient. But if it helps us to follow Jesus, to fulfill the vision that Jesus has given to us, and let's take this disruption and make those changes. You will see when you do end up going into the building, that we're making those changes now. Of course, now it's just to the property. We're changing carpets, changing walls, putting up other pictures, other things like that to continue to make it a place that engages with people outside of the church. But that is our call, our clarion call. How do we take advantage? How do we, in the power of the Spirit, the disruption that has occurred in our lives over the last three or four months, and use that disruption to make change so that we might indeed continue to be growing, diverse community of Jesus followers? And friends, this is the good news. All of this is good news. So remember this good news that Jesus has promised. That's what he's about. That's what he's been calling us about for thousands of years, since the very beginning, to be a house of prayer for all peoples. And he has promised us that a day will come when that will be perfectly fulfilled. When people of every nation, tribe, and tongue will gather at the throne of the Lamb of God and worshiped together. And it is clear that what Jesus started here in his life, he brought to completion by his death and resurrection. He has defeated sin. He's defeated death. He's defeated evil. He's defeated the lies of the world and the evil one. Through the power of his death and his resurrection. And we live in that power today. What he has accomplished is what we are living into. And we know in this broken world, demonstrated by by COVID, demonstrated by George Floyd's murder, demonstrated by evil systemic racism in our world. It's in this world that God so loved that he sent his only son, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And we get to be a part of God's grand, saving, redemptive, rescuing plan this, this freedom weekend, this weekend that we celebrate freedom, let us celebrate above all things Jesus' sacrificial death for our sin and His presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in us now that has freed us to be a transformed people of sacrificial love, of joy and celebration and justice and righteousness so that we might be a part of what Jesus, what Isaiah what God the Father has called us to be, a house of prayer for all peoples. Amen.